0: Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. I'm Chris Salamone from 4 Eyes Furniture, and with me as always, Mike Montgomery from Modern Builds. Hey, happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) And Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. Hey. Hey. (laughs) That is clean. All right, today is Thursday, November 30th, otherwise known as Stay at Home Because You're Well Day.
1: Is is that like some sort of anti-Black Friday day, or?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Or just for, I don't know, lazy people that hate work. Is there just something for every day of this week? I didn't know that. The, oh, yeah, because we got, what, your Cyber Mondays. I was aware of that, yeah. Your th- give things, Small Business Saturdays. And then yeah. today, or the day we're recording this on Tuesday, you're supposed to donate. It's like, I don't know, Give oh, Thanks okay. Tuesday. I didn't know that one. Uh, there's... Wednesday pajama day that's where you everybody wears pajamas to work. I think you made that one And up. then there's Thursday <laughs> podcast day where you donate 1 million dollars to your favorite podcast or the podcast that you're currently listening to. Wow, I really like that one. Yeah, I'm surprised that's I hadn't heard one. of that one yet. That's good. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> All right, so Mike, what you working on?
2: Oh, okay. This week, I built a huge project. It was incredible <laughs> the amount of time that went into this one. It was... Biggest a, one
0: yet? Uh, probably, yeah.
2: It was uh, <laughs> how to make picture frames video.
0: Whoa, Lighting the internet on fire. <laughs> Mind blown, I know.
2: <laughs> but uh, I needed to build a picture frame. I say need. Um, I had a video sponsored by Storyblocks, which is a kind of stock photo and stock video company. And mm-hmm. whenever it makes sense, I, I really like to work the sponsor into the project if that's something that doesn't interrupt the flow or make it way too difficult. And I thought a picture frame video could be really cool because they've got some neat kind of patterns and textures type things. They also have a lot of like stock photos of guys giving handshakes in business meetings and
0: <laughs> giving handshakes. Handshakes, huh? Women. That almost went off the rails. <laughs>
2: Women women holding, like, ambiguous objects and things like that. Uh, but they've got some... So, this, but,
1: this website sounds awesome. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's more for, like, you know, if you're making, like, a business presentation or something. So I, I printed some, some cool artwork that I thought was interesting, and I built a frame for it. Uh, oddly enough, I built a couple frames a week, maybe two weeks ago, whenever I was... What do you call that? Staging the modular wall shelf video that's going to be out today. Mm. It was supposed to be out last week, but there was a whole thing. I'm not going to get into that. That video is going to be out on Thursday. Yeah. Thanksgiving oh. was literally <laughs> what was in the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So that video will be out. And then earlier in the week, uh, Wednesday, the picture frame will be out. I'm dropping a deuce this week, Chris.
0: Uh, yeah. Woo! Dropping a deuce. <laughs> I forgot about that. We got to keep that popular.
2: I know. I forgot about it too. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I had built a couple frames uh, two, three weeks ago, something like that. And I developed a pretty quick way of putting them together. I made this simple jig for making sure everything was going together really square. And the one thing that's kind of different, because I know there's a few picture frame videos out there. Don't you have one, Chris? Or was yours just about matting?
0: No, yeah, well, that was like the side video that went with it, but oh, okay. it, I did make frames. So yeah. Guilty.
2: So there we go. Perfect example. There's a few of them out there, but mm-hmm. uh, most of them either use some sort of reinforcement like splines or something like dowel, some kind of wooden reinforcement in the corners because yeah. the corners are miters and miters are ingrain meeting ingrain and wood glue is strong, but not incredibly strong when you do that. It likes edge grain or face grain. So, you know, you need some sort of reinforcement. And if you want to do wood reinforcement, that's fine. But I think it kind of muddies up the frame. I like just the clean aesthetic of just a nice, simple frame where everything's square and good. So I picked up these things called V-nails at Hobby Lobby whenever I was building those other frames, thinking if they worked great. If not, I can always do something like splines. But they ended up working really well. I was surprised at how strong these things are. They're basically quarter inch by quarter inch V shapes that have a little prong on each end that makes it to where once they're pushed into the wood, it can't go in either direction. Because in one way, I guess the frame is meeting itself. But in the other direction, those little hooks at the end of the V prevent it from being able to, to separate. Mm-hmm. And they're surprisingly strong. I was really surprised at how strong they were. I put in two pins on one corner Uh, The first time I was building a frame and I was expecting just to kind of like pull on them a little bit and breaking it, but it ended up, I kind of pulled them, not hard, but I pulled them way more than any stress they're going to go through being a picture frame Right, and they didn't even flex or anything. And that was before the wood glue dried. So it looks great. It's fast. I would say it's way faster than splines or any kind of dowel or anything. And it takes basically a router to make the groove that the picture, the mat, and the, and the glass all set into. Uh, I used just a little half-inch dado bit on my trim router, and then a circular saw, miter saw, table saw, whatever you want to do to cut your cut your miters. Heck, you could use even something your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You could if you got beaver teeth, you totally could do that. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you could use something as simple as just like a, a miter box, like a handsaw, saw and uh, just do it by hand even. So I think picture frames are cool because it just, it doesn't take a lot of tools and it's kind of a good bang for your buck because a nice looking frame kind of looks expensive. So yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I actually think like it's one of the things where if you're a beginner, like even using a handsaw might actually uh, be a little bit easier. I know when people are first getting started in using like a chop saw or a compound miter saw and cutting out 45s, they often forget about the kerf of the blade. Mm. And, you know, when you're, if you're making a rectangular frame, just being a 16th of an inch off can kind of make the seams not perfect unless you're going to paint and caulk over it. So I actually always suggest to someone's like doing that for the first time, you know, just using a nice sharp uh, hand saw and just one of those miter boxes to guide the saw because the hand saws, the, the blade is so much thinner, it's sometimes easier to line up your, your cuts uh, one after the other to make a, a perfect rectangular frame.
2: That's cool. Have you ever used uh, your Japanese saw in the miter box?
1: Yeah I, have, yeah, I use it
2: all the time. I don't even use the one it came with anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the other thing too with, with picture frames is if you go to most thrift stores, you'll find a lot of old picture frames and often the paint will be chipped or the finish will be kind of outdated. But you can always get, you can get really heavy moldings that would be pretty expensive to buy by the foot if they were new. And then just, you know, especially if you're going with a matte finish, uh, you know, a spray paint them uh, a nice matte white or do some sort of cool antique finish on them. And you can get a lot of value out of some of those old moldings that, that are often just being thrown away or sold for, you know, pennies.
2: Yeah, and speaking of being sold for pennies, especially with bigger frames, the probably the most expensive part is buying the glass and maybe the matting. So even if you find an old, ugly frame that's not really worth salvaging, maybe spending five bucks on a giant frame that you can put over your sofa or 10 bucks on that sofa and get the glass out of it, the mat, the backer board, and all the little hanging brackets, I mean, you'd probably save a considerable amount of money.
0: So yeah, that's a cool idea. That's how we get rich. <laughs> save <Saving laughs> money on picture frames. Yeah. Cool, ben, Chris. What are, what are you working, working? on? Oh, okay, I'll go. I'll go second. Save the Benz for last. Wow. Um, so I'm. That's a good one, right? All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's it's fair to Midland. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, let's see. Did I talk about last week that I was going to make the stand for my Nintendo Switch and the two little classic systems that I have? Not that well, I well. If remember. I did or if I didn't. So that's what I made this past weekend. So it was nice to do like a quick little project that. I could actually knock out in a day and a half and it's actually super useful. It frees up a bunch of space on, on a, my media console. Is it like it's a whole what display? I, I used to, yeah, it kind of, it's just like a little thing. So it's just, it's basically like a shelf that is at an angle so that the, um, the NES classic and the SNES classic sit on that and they're kind of tilted forward. So you can just like view them better. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, like I do use them to play with their, but they're kind of. Decorations more than anything else, just because they're cool-looking little systems. Yeah, and then it's got another tier above that where the Switch, the Nintendo Switch, sits. And so I used to actually have like I keep all of my old video game stuff, like from when I was a little kid, and I had it all displayed on this one bookshelf that we had in our house. And so that was always like an argument. My wife was always like, "Why do you get to display your stuff? I don't get to display my stuff." So I was like, "You know what? I'm taking them to work. So now they're in my <laughs> office." I don't have them at home anymore, but these ones I feel like I can actually get away with displaying because they're the retro. They're actually in use. They're in use and oh, they're wait, part never of my childhood. Yeah, yeah. The Switch they're, is yeah. not
2: retro. Sorry.
0: The Switch is not. Retro. Someday I it know. will be. I mean, God yeah. willing. Um, so, yeah, that was a quick little one. Um, kind of a funny thing that happened this week. So I got a message from a guy on I think Instagram maybe. And he goes like, "Hey, I think this company's copying one of your products." Oh wow! So it, it's the bench—the first video that I made. It's a, a not a company, but it's basically a, a custom furniture maker in Poland. So Poland loves me. Hey, they love their, their they love their Chris Salamoni. Shout out! Um, yep, shout out to Poland. Um, no, but yeah, he made like it was like the exact same bench. The only difference was that it had a, like, coat hanger that was kind of growing up through it, it looked like. It was actually oh, kind like of cool. Oh, like a ballet. Looking. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that is one of the pieces that we're actually going to be selling um, with that company. Ooh, so that does kind of give it, like, an interesting twist. And and he's actually, yeah, he's selling stuff and, you know, like, he's a custom furniture maker, basically. You right. know, basically doing what I was doing before I was on YouTube. Exactly. Anyway, so I still wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though, I mean, it is, like, dead ringer for it other than that thing growing up through it like i was saying so i mean like the angles look the same it all the joinery is the same it's just everything's the same so i sent him a message and was just like hey introduce myself somebody sent me this here's my original one just wanted to know how did you come up with doing this i don't want to accuse you of stealing it or you know tell you you need to stop selling it or whatever sent a nice message to him he wrote back the next day sent a nice message can you do a polish accent I actually can't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, monsieur. I think it was That's, Polish French. I
2: was about no. to say, yeah, monsieur. <laughs> it's definitely a Polish word. <laughs> All right, keep going. I'm sorry.
0: Just picture a, a good Polish accent here, mm-hmm. but it was in typing. So I don't know, I guess technically it had some like weird clickety sounds, I guess. But, um, yeah, so he, uh, basically kind of said, yeah, I did get it from you. And, I didn't contact you because of like the distance and the language barrier and I'll stop selling it. Hmm. So I don't, I mean, I don't even honestly care if he stopped selling it. I don't think that it is going to make a difference from a business point of view for me. Um, And honestly, if he would have contacted me and told me like, Hey, do you care if I sell this? Especially at the time I'd have been like, go for it probably. But that is not giving everybody (laughs) <laughs> leeway to go yeah. copy everything right now that's not what i'm saying but yeah i don't know it was, but doesn't uh, but doesn't putting it on youtube give everybody the right to just copy it i mean I, or think no? that, I don't even know what the legalities would be they probably could just do it i don't think you can copyright something like that
1: yeah legally probably yeah i mean i guess um, the only
0: thing you have established
2: is like first use or whatever
0: like whatever yeah. that would be
1: right also you would have to have patented it and then protected that patent and it's hard to patent, patent furniture design because you also have to show like that other people haven't done things that are similar. Right. Um, That's what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah. Which and that similarity is highly subjective in how.
0: And clearly, somebody has done something similar.
1: Yeah. So it's like, you know in, in these situations, I'd always sort of say, okay, so let's say he gave you a a response like they're saying, like, yeah, I copied it, and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want with it, right? Like uh, that would be one that would be rude, mm-hmm. but other than the rudeness what would you have lost? Like, how in any way, in a business standpoint, in, in a creative standpoint, in an artistic standpoint... How would you be injured by his actions in any possible way?
0: No, I I don't think I would. The only thing that I would have any concern about is because we're selling them if then it turned around where like he's going to come after us in some way, which I don't think he could again. Um, and then I would also just want to like make 100% sure that he didn't independently come up with it just because then I would be like, well, now I this I don't want to do this product anymore because... I don't know, what if I did see it from him and somehow like it got into my subconscious and that's why I came up with it. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, that would be crazy.
0: So I kind of just wanted it for my own conscious to know that like, okay, it was my original idea. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Because there's from, you know, if, if, if a company sold that, right? Like if Ikea did something similar, that could be seen as injurious to you, right? Just because you could say, well, they have the capabilities to make it so much cheaper and they're gonna whatever you make right. and along that line it could do it but even then i would say that you wouldn't be going head-to-head in competition with them the the first reaction in those situations is to get kind of annoyed and actually to feel like you're like you kind of wakes you up you're like your adrenaline gets kind of going you get a little bit of outrage even if you're not totally pissed but it stirs up something mm-hmm. um and I think that normally comes from the assumption of loss before you actually do the calculus to sort of see if you actually lost anything by that. And I always find that it's actually really helpful to do that calculation before you like <laughs> reach out and contact anyone. Because most of the time, nothing is lost. There is no damage uh, it's funny when I when I see a lot of people in our community really say this person's ripped me off, this person ripped me off, and then later on they're posting, oh, this is a such and such famous designer inspired uh, bench or table yeah. or something like that. Yeah,
2: it's it's all derivative, man.
1: Yeah. So the I I think the the question is to always think, you know. Uh, are we thinking of ourselves as artists or creative? And in which case, why are we offended by someone being inspired by what we've done? And we're certainly standing on the shoulders of other people. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think, you know, you take somebody like uh, the Ameses, right. Y- you could argue that almost a vast majority of modern furniture that comes after that is derivative. Um, and people have those discussions in music all the time about what's sort of derivative of something else. So, I, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I get that feeling all the time. Um, and it's natural to sort of get a little bit, huh. But uh, it's, you know, when you when you actually always sort of do the math and sort of say, Okay, what did I actually lose by this other person doing that? It, it's normally not very much. Mm-hmm. So for me, since uh, I haven't been building anything, uh, I've been traveling, I'm back in California, but I was just in Joshua Tree. Um, and I stayed at a really cool Airbnb called the Tile House, and so I got a lot of questions on my Instagram since I was posting stories about it. And it's just this—it's really just a really cheap house in the middle of the desert. It's not even close to the park. It's like 25 minutes away. And what's awesome is that they—these people—they've made an incredibly financially successful Airbnb rental simply by sort of designing real, or and making really eccentric choices. And so they just have been collecting random pieces of tile and broken pottery. And they probably took a house that probably cost about $100,000. And they just tiled the whole thing with these crazy colors and it's super eccentric and collected all these weird mannequins and machine parts. And it's sort of like this like inhabitable, awesome, colorful, psychedelic junkyard. But they rent it for about like 200 to $300 a night, depending on how many people you have staying there. And I think it's booked almost 80% out of the year. So, I mean, oh, wow. you can do the math. Taking, taking a, an asset that's only cost maybe $100,000, $150,000, but putting all that individuality to make it way more valuable as a nightly rentable commodity. Because if you're going on a trip to Joshua Tree, you want something kind of eccentric you know for a night or two before you go into like the the park and do your acid trip or whatever else you're doing um, <laughs> so it it's it was it's an excellent case of like design adding value now if you tried to do the same thing in like Beverly Hills, it would be like the worst possible design idea ever because there people want sort of luxury and sophistication, not sort of eccentricness so and the real estate is so expensive that you'd be your creativity would be reducing the value of the thing. So it's kind of like the thing with like, uh, you know, if you're cooking some cheap food, if you're making tacos, get real experimental with the toppings. If you're making a steak, don't get all, all crazy with the toppings. Cause you're undermining the fundamental value that was there. So that was really cool. And then, uh, me and Jesse and a couple friends went hiking and, uh, around a uh, Joshua tree park, which is always really fun. There's just all these giant boulders and stuff like that. And, uh, Took a lot of cool photos, climbed around a lot, and uh, generally had a blast. And uh, I don't think I'll be building anything until I get back to Boston with, uh, on uh, Friday. Um, but i uh, been having a lot of meetings, sort of still moving things forward on the tiny house projects, uh, getting all my visa stuff taken care of for Uganda.
2: Did you get all your vaccinations figured out?
1: I'm all done with shots, Oof. so I just have pills left. I have to take a bunch of pills like right before the I, I go on my trip, uh, and I gotta coordinate with uh, some other camera people that might be coming with me to document it. But really, I'm just in the mode where I'm starting to finish up all my invoices for 2017 and start getting the the project planning done for all the big projects in
2: 2018. Cool. Alright, so this week, I I, I thought of an interesting topic, not really even thought of it, it was kind of, it landed in my lap. I had somebody comment on one of my videos, don't remember what one it was, I don't really answer all of my comments, there's just too many, but I read probably like 95% of them. And he basically just said, why don't you use Danish oil anymore? And it was on one of my older projects where <laughs> I basically only used you, Danish oil. This
1: guy's voice
2: sucks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he didn't sound Polish <laughs> at all, it was weird.
2: <laughs> Uh, (laughs) same guy yeah but uh he basically just asked why i don't use danish oil anymore and i responded that i prefer uh polycrylic it's water-based if i'm correct but it just maybe i think so isn't it or whatever it is yeah it's it's, it's It's a low VSC. yeah yeah but anyways it's just i like the finish more it doesn't yellow the wood the same way danish oil does it's a little bit stronger um you can put it over paint, and it'll protect that. You can put it on metal. You can put it on wood. It's basically you can slap it on anything, and it's gonna make you it. You put look it on good. pizza. Yeah, and it's the best pizza you'll ever have. <laughs> it'll never go bad. <laughs> <laughs> But so that made me kind of think about the topic being, uh, you know, what do you do now that you used to do something different? Maybe that's uh, a product choice, like I just mentioned. Hmm. Maybe it's a material type. Maybe it's just in general, just a specific type of project. Maybe it's the way Ben hasn't made a galvanized pipe project in forever or the way Chris,
0: you know, you're pretty consistent, Chris. Uh, actually, I can think of one material. You've used a lot
2: less that, walnut plywood lately. You've been kind of branching out from that a lot.
0: I'm trying to think. I of- have been. You know, I used to. Okay, so actually, for walnut specifically, pretty much everything that I made for my house initially was all in walnut. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just my favorite wood to use. And I think, if anything, I think if I was not making videos, I probably would have stuck to that just because it's my favorite wood for my house, but I just wanted to do different things on video. So I would say it's still probably my favorite wood. You know, if I gun to the head had to choose one, I would go with that, but with materials and actually plywood, like you just mentioned on the bed, that was the first time that I had ever used plywood Well, for a project, at least plywood that you can get at the big box store. So that was the pure bond stuff that, um, Came from Home Depot. Rate right it one out of 10. 11. No, um, it's a, it's good. I mean, like I would say if I was building like really fine furniture, I probably would still use the stuff mm-hmm. that I say it was like a bad Larry, right? And you're only using one sheet, maybe two. It doesn't make that big of a difference. The quality might be like just slightly better on it. Um, and also different, spe- different species. I think that's actually the biggest difference. I think so. Yeah. But for a project like that, where I was using seven sheets of plywood, that's a a difference of either spending $350 in material or, you know, $600 in material. Yeah. So it actually is a, a pretty big savings and it was really good for that project. Like I thought it actually, the quality of it, I think was like right in line with the quality of the, of the end result. Um, I would use it for nicer things. Like I think it's a perfectly fine product to use. And I didn't think that before. I don't know if it was because I just assumed everything was bad there and I never bothered to, really look around unless i was just like making some kind of shop thing or i don't know needed to grab a piece real quick for whatever something that didn't matter but yeah that's definitely something that changed for me material wise that's cool that's what
1: i used for my spiral staircase it was pure bond because it's a uh, low voc and i was gonna have so much in it i want i didn't want a giant mound of pie of plywood off gassing from Elderhide.
2: mm yeah, that was one That was one of the big reasons I asked in terms of, like, how you liked it is because I think the only plywood I've ever bought is from Home Depot, aside from maybe two sheets of walnut plywood, I think is all I've ever bought uh, from an <laughs> actual, like, lumber supplier. So, just interested. For yeah, me, I thought, the... Oh, go uh, ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to so say, from... I think the cores were, like... <laughs> no, you no, 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 go I, ahead. Go ahead. Politeness standoff again. Um, no, I thought, yeah, like, the cores were every bit as good as the other plywood that I use the veneer, you know, again, that just kind of comes down to preference. If you want walnut or cherry or whatever for a project, you know, then you're probably going to have to go to a lumber yard. But if, if you don't, then that was perfectly fine. I think that was maple that I used for the bed. Cool. Uh,
1: Do you, any of you guys sort of, uh, in relation to sort of, I mean, we all produce content and we have over a pretty, you know, at least over the years, uh, and that definitely changes. Have you, any of you, gotten any sort of audience blowback about sort of just changing or the types of projects or stuff like that?
2: Ooh,
0: um, not that I can think of. You guys, I'll think of. Actually, about it. I, funny enough, on that product or project, I did have one person say, like, oh man, don't start using that stuff. <laughs> like, basically implying it's not like he, you know, now you're going to switch away from this and, and only use Pure Bond. And mm-hmm. I said, hey, it, you know, it worked out it's a small sample size. I can only report on what I've experienced. It was perfectly fine for the seven sheets that I had. So
2: yeah. Speaking of small sample sizes, then the walnut plywood I bought from the lumber supplier. And while, while you were talking a second ago, Chris, I googled it to Mm -hmm. make sure that I wasn't crazy. It had MDF as every other layer of veneer.
0: Yeah. Some of them have that. Yeah. I hated that.
2: It was terrible. <laughs> like you just didn't like the way that it looked? No, well, yeah, for one. But it was, it was, I don't know. I just I just felt really like uh, bamboozled. I was like, I just paid $80 for a sheet of plywood and it's half MDF.
0: <laughs> yeah, some of them are like that. If you So the one where I go and get mine, there's actually an, an import and a domestic uh-huh. that are like, it's like $5 difference in price. So I usually just get the domestic one that's slightly more expensive. And I find that it has slightly nicer cores. But yeah, there are some that... Or, you know, double-A high-quality veneers that still will have an MDF core. Yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> Not mic-approved. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I think the for me when it comes to uh, sort of change and stuff like that, like uh, I'll, I'll get it with if I post uh, a bunch of digital fabrication projects, people go, oh, yeah, I love it when you used to do furniture projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if I do a bunch of furniture projects, people say, oh, I miss it when you used to do like more accessible DIY things, right? Um. Or if I do a bunch of uh, sort of DIY ones, people go, oh, I miss it when you used to experiment and do more stuff. And what's interesting is that I often get people sort of accusing me of change as if, like, they've caught me, like, red-handed. or (laughs) Uh Yeah, exactly. Or if, like, uh, you know, if, like, Jamie or Jesse are doing a bunch of videos on my channel, what happened to the other guy? (laughs) And I'm like... You've really changed. And it's just funny. It's like... uh, yeah, like I make no promises and have zero interest in consistency or their expectations for giving them comfort with a consistent type of video or content or formula or stuff like that. Uh, like, I, like I expect to change what I do every year, if not project to project. Like uh, I don't ever want to be sort of static or, or repetitive. Uh, I, I I hope that next year I'm doing totally different stuff than what I'm doing uh, uh, right now, and I think like every year, like uh, the type of content, the type of projects, the type of materials, all those things keep changing, and I don't ever want to get sort of static and comfortable and be like, okay, I got my formula, I do this, then I do this, then I do this, then I do this, and now I like it's working for me, and I want to protect that lead. And then I want to criticize other people that are doing the same thing with me because my entire sort of lifestyle and enterprise is built around this formula. Um, no, that's – it's also why I don't worry so much about copying is like they're never – no one's ever going to copy where I'm going. Oh, <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, I'm it's, – it's a moving target. So, yeah, uh, a lot of people will might imitate or get inspired by things that I've done, but they're going to be things that I've already done um and then i'm just going to keep moving and doing something else and i'll sort of say oh that's nice i remember when i was in that phase uh as they copy something i did like two years ago the other thing that i was i was thinking about this uh re- in t- expectations is i've been thinking about the time i've been on the other the other foot um as an audience member and like tv shows that i watched and then i sort of like eh, didn't you know kind of got over them and i think a lot of times it. You know, my initial reaction was like, oh, the show's not as good as it used to be. It's changed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that about like that show 24. I watched like the first two or three seasons, kind of dug it. It was fun. And then like the third, fourth season, I was like, eh, diminishing returns. Fifth season, I was like, nah, I'm out. Yeah. Um, and the show didn't change. <laughs> the show was pretty true to formula. What changed was diminishing returns and that. So what's interesting is that people often, uh, uh, you know, cite oh this is changed or this isn't as good as it used to be, and they're actually describing their enjoyment of something that's actually that's right. been remarkably consistent. You just got tired of they're it. just it's just no longer new or novel or interesting to them. Right. So uh, I think that's true with a lot of audience stuff, and you know no, any show, no matter how much you like it, is going to get old if it doesn't evolve. Now, they can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and lose the part that you, you know, know, some of the concepts behind it that were initially intriguing. But for me, the things that that I am betting my sort of business and enterprises and stuff on isn't that it's not steel pipes and rust and construction lumber. It's not CNC's and crazy geometry. It's not concrete. It's not those things that are interesting it's the continual uh, experimentation between design ideas and accessible tools and materials. Uh, I think it's those concepts and those experiments that are going to be the through line that I'll probably stick to, uh, not so much like the actual spe- specifics of the projects. So yeah, I used to use Danish oil a lot more, and then I used to use uh, a polycrylic, and now I'm I'm really liking the, the Minwax Wipe-On Poly because I can get it even sort of thinner, and especially with, like, darker woods, I feel like the, the polycrylic can get a little bit too plasticky. Hmm. And now I'm mix- doing more and more really thin layers of the Wipe-On Poly, really, you know, using a rag applied rather than a brush because the brush makes it too sticky and, and thick in a single coat. But, yeah, I, I hope to constantly change and constantly evolve and never, you know, never just get into some sort of comfortable, steady, rhythmic routine.
2: Yeah, that was that was one of the big reasons that I hired Caleb to run camera for me is granted, you can never know exactly what your audience is thinking. But after two, two and a half years of making very similar formatted videos with the same sort of camera angles I always did, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of switch things up, bring a new perspective, get a little bit more movement and just general energy with just having a camera that was mobile. Uh, not to mention just being able to talk on camera and have a little bit more personality, I think, doesn't hurt. But one of the comment, or not even one of the comments, but I got quite a few comments uh, at some point just saying, Yo, I think I liked it when you didn't have a cameraman, camera guy, because you did bigger projects. And hmm. I agree. I like big projects, too. But I wanted to do, for the past month or so, I was kind of looking back on what I've built. And the big thing I did was the entryway remodel. But I built, uh, you know, a bookshelf, picture frame, a cake stand that will be coming out soon, a couple other things, mostly small. And I did that on purpose because I didn't want to spend four days shooting a project to find out that Caleb f***ed it up. Or to find out that I messed it up because I forgot to turn the audio recorder on for the whole time or something like that. I wanted this break in period where if there was a critical error that totally ruined the entire project or the video, at least that it wasn't so detrimental that I didn't, you know, have to pay a guy for five days of work with no return. You know, I can lose a day of work and that's totally fine. Um, so yeah, I am definitely looking forward to building bigger projects, but it was just something that I felt like. Changing, changing one thing kind of led me to be comfortable in other areas, and slowly I can break out of that.
1: Yeah, I think one one thing that, that – uh, that's an interesting idea that you just sort of presented, and it was actually really smart of you to sort of have the foresight to sort of say, I'm adding this new element, and I'm doing it for these sort of advantages that are that are obvious – but you were actually like you know pretty aware to think that there could be some unintended liabilities or consequences, right? It's adding to complication. You have the handoff of content, which can always get messed up. Something could get labeled wrong, or you can't find it, or you record over it, or all those things. So, mm-hmm. one that was like kind of very uh, uh, smart of you to sort of have that anticipation. But the uh, the other thing is like you you might think of it, um, and this is what I'm sort of doing with like Jamie and Jesse is that. I can, you might almost set, set aside like one day a week to work on a big ongoing project provided you have space for storage and stuff like that. Yeah. And then still get in your, your uh you know, your sort of day, your weekly kind of projects with, with Caleb that are quick, quick. But it might be that you have a bigger ongoing one that you aren't as sure as the outcome, but it's your more experimental kind of grandiose uh, project yeah. that sort of goes back burner and maybe one of those comes out like every six to eight weeks because you really have time to sort of experiment and develop it without compromising your weekly output.
2: Yeah, that's a cool and that that's kind of a that was kind of what I did with the entryway. I think that was actually the first video that I actually that I had Caleb help me on or, you know, work with me on at all. And I started that a month and a half ago, or maybe even a little bit longer than that. And so game plan now is I'm going to be starting the next room here in the next couple weeks. And That's kind of one of those things where with a project that size, you can always have a lot of delays that you're not necessarily expecting. So that's kind of the plan where it's here's three days this week where we're going to work on the room and then the rest of the week we're going to get a project for this week out. Then we're going to work on, you know, work on it for a few days, then get the video out, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, also what you described is like why I don't think that it's a good idea to separate the way you think about business from the way you think about creative because one impacts the other, right? You make a business decision of of bringing on a cameraman and that has creative impacts even if it seems like it's separate from project uh, design and creation. Another thing that I see happening in our sort of industry is like when people go full time, it has an impact on uh, the type of work that they do. Uh, it means that they can do in some cases do bigger projects, but they often, I think you'll often see people sort of get a little bit more conservative and a little bit more regimented or a little bit more sort of scheduled, right? If, if you're doing this as kind of like a hobby, uh, outside of like your normal nine to five. You might only sort of take on the projects that you're really, really like and you might only be to- producing like a few projects uh, a month or maybe a project every three weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you have to have a lot of time to do it. The minute you go full time, it's not nece- your projects might actually get smaller and more conservative because you have this idea of oh, I have to be regimented I have to put something out every week. Yep. Neither one of those is necessarily a good or bad thing but it's just being aware that a change in a business or lifestyle thing can have trickle down to sort of the creative output of design and making.
0: You know, it's funny. I don't have anybody else that I work with, but I will say that similar to you when you uh, hired on Caleb, when I got my new camera, I actually made sure that I was working on a small project for the first one that I used it just in case it was like, you know, everything came out out of focus or something like that. I I didn't (laughs) want to mess up something big. Exactly. On this topic though, kind of shifting gears. One of the other things I started thinking about when you proposed it was more than, you know, how have things that I've done changed? Maybe have I changed at all Ooh. over the course of the last year and a half? And I think one of the things that I've changed with is I think that I actually do take criticism better now than I did when I first started. That's not to say that I take it to heart more, but just that I don't react to it as much. Um and it's probably just, you know, kind of you In your normal life, you don't deal with as much criticism from people because you're not putting yourself out there to be criticized. So I think initially I my immediate reaction was just to put my defenses up as soon as there was criticism. And now I'm just like a little bit more neutral, I would say. I'm just kind of – I'll neutrally accept it, and I can either react negatively or positively. But I, I'm not reacting before I've had time to soak it in.
2: Yeah, that's that, – yeah. I'm trying to think of a – yeah
0: kind of an example of how you've changed (laughs) yeah
2: i was thinking it's it's i'm bringing it back to plywood it's why i was kind of thinking about not saying it but i've gained an Mm. appreciation for light colored woods like maple Mm. and birch and even oak i guess now building this frame out of oak i was really surprised at how like pretty oak was once i put on a coat of polycrylic and uh like prior to that, I would say a year ago, everything was either stained with a dark walnut or a special walnut stain, or it was made out of walnut. And now I really don't have a lot of interest in building things in walnut. Well, definitely not staining. Yeah. Your
1: your your palette is expanding. Yeah, definitely. For me, it was also similar, and I'm curious if the reason behind your sort of taste shift is similar to to mine. Two things. I noticed the same thing. One is because walnut's so much harder to photograph.
2: That is number one. <laughs> uh, yes, hundred <laughs> percent.
1: Like uh, if I remember photographing something that's walnut, I try to get like a darker, like a gray background. Or I love photographing uh, walnut furniture on a concrete floor. It's hard on like a honey-colored oak floor because like the orange and then the browns aren't quite right. Yeah. Um, so when I'm photographing walnut, like I I like a different uh, backdrop environment like my favorite thing would be to photograph Walnut against a medium gray background. Hmm. Because otherwise, if you do it against, normally all my furniture and stuff is done against the white background, which is, I guess, that really bright, airy overall look to the image. But when I do that with Walnut, it just comes, the contrast of the camera is picking up on, I definitely always do it on manual. I never shoot Walnut on a white background on automatic. So, you know, pro tip there.
0: That's funny that you say that because I think that was actually and this is in total contrast to that one of the reasons that i started liking walnut so much was because i really liked the way that it photographed <clears throat> and i think that's because of how much contrast there is and probably i think with my designs i'm very much focused on shape more than like form yeah oh look yeah. at the figure of that that wood and or you know the the yep. grain and all that kind of stuff and so in a thumbnail it's almost like a silhouette would be fine with me like just like seeing that stark contrast between the shape and the background so it's funny that you say that that like the same thing is what made you shift away from it that makes me gravitate towards it and that's weird that you
2: said silhouette because that was what I was gonna say is especially yeah. when you reduce it down to a thumbnail on like the sidebar of YouTube walnut does look especially like a silhouette especially film or especially wow I said especially like 12 times <laughs> especially nope I mean, especially when it's uh you know taking a picture against a white wall or something where there's even more contrast
0: yeah ben were you going to still say something i felt like i interrupted you on that point
2: oh
1: no 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 but i 100% agree like the, the way you sort of cared, and i think we we've, we've had this conversation before where it's like i was saying that like you know your silhouettes and your profiles of your furniture pieces are the signature and that's why i always emphasize that those should be you know the the thumbnail for your stuff Whereas if you're doing like live edge slab kind of stuff, totally different, even if Mm -hmm. it's the same wood and even if the furniture pieces are in the same uh, genre and project type. And I think I think that's why, like, whenever people try to simplify things to be like, okay, so what are your tips for building a YouTube audience? It's don't look at tips, (laughs) you know, uh, do something. something No, you you, use logic, right? Like identify concepts and then logically deploy them. Right? Like, know, think about the piece that you're making, and think about what that piece actually is and what situations it would look good in, and what things would be hard to photograph, and what things about it uh, uh, are really going to stand out and how to stage it and all those things. Right. Right? Like if you're doing something like Chris's with like really interesting angles, like you know little flare-outs on some of the pieces that that's creating these signature uh, silhouettes, you don't want that to blend into the wall color. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're making something where the geometry is more predictable, like a like you know sort of like square cubic uh, bookshelves or something like that, uh, if I would have done the the sort of plywood bookshelves, I'd done in a really dark wood and then photographed it from a whole room thing, mm-hmm. but none of the grains going to show up at the scale of showing the whole piece. It's just going to look really dark in contrast to a white wall. Yep. Right. If I had a if my wall was gray, then I probably would have gone with like a walnut kind of thing. Because it would have been been the right ratio of contrast to where the camera won't darken, overly darken the wood and not show the contrast in the the walnut just because it's in opposition to the bright white wall. Yeah. So it's never saying that like, so it's never about like, oh, walnut's good, this is bad, or white is good for a background, but you shouldn't use gray. It's no, it's all contextual. It's always in relations to other things. It's the same thing with like cooking. It's not that like, there's things that taste like vinegar that are excellent. There's things that t- taste uh, uh, salty that are excellent. Uh, but don't always want to mix the wrong combinations. And being able to command and understand those will allow you to uh, make original things and do really interesting things and consistently develop uh, great quality work. Whereas, And it won't limit you, you to just following other people's recipes.
0: Yeah, I think the general rule that I like to think about is that there are no rules. There's only suggestions or or there. in a way there are like, you know, best practices or whatever. That's, but don't yeah. like, don't follow those so strictly. Just think about what's best for whatever you're, it is that you're doing and just be willing to put that thought into it. And that's going to be the difference maker. And actually this is kind of off topic, but it was something that I was thinking about earlier today when I was walking around um, listening to another podcast. I was thinking about if you do follow people's rules real strictly, so like, you know, say Mike, somebody saw your videos and they loved what you were doing and they said, I'm going to do that and I'm just going to kind of use everything that he does as gospel and I'm going to make my videos. The best you're ever going to be is a worse version of Mike if you're doing that. Man, that's a bummer. Yeah. Imagine that. I'm I'm barely making
2: it being the only version of Mike. Whereas if
0: you do, if you do your own thing, then you have the opportunity to be the best version of whatever that thing is. And I actually think that like, this is a very generic rule or suggestion, I guess, is if you were thinking about going into this, it would be to not be like a certain maker but to be a kind of like Frankenstein of a few makers. So like take the th- take certain things that you like from different people that you respect, what they're doing, but then work in your own sort of, whatever your strength is that you can bring to it. So whether that's, you know, the cinematography from Frank Howarth and the, you know, it doesn't just matter. Just take everything from Frank Howarth. Just do what he <laughs> just, just be a worse version of Frank Howarth and you'll be okay. <laughs> that actually is true. You would be. Okay. I, I would
1: love to be a worse version of Frank Howarth. I think that would be <laughs> amazing. That's what I'm shooting that. for. Um, yeah, and, and and on top of that, I would say uh, uh, experiment often, but experiment small, and then bet really big. So uh, by what I mean is like uh, you, you want to do the good kind of change, but change also involves risk. That can waste time, cause discouragement, and cause setbacks. So. You experiment small with, like, little things where, you, you, you know, uh, like my molten metal experiments. I started with some really small casting before I tried to pour it into a big, expensive slab of wood, right? But I don't disc- – just so, you know, once I sort of have a proof of concept with the small experiments that are adding a new material to my repertoire, I don't want to do, like, a, then a nice conservative version of that, right? No, I want to bet big, right? Once I know that the concept can work, then I want to, like – go all in because i know i'm i have a good hand or and i've tested it out you know it's like you know what's with, with cnc projects it was i you know tested out the machines got comfortable with it, a couple small experiments and i was like no, no i want to build something huge with this because i right. really want to to exaggerate the single capability that i kind of discovered in the experimentation um so that those are like the I guess that would be like one tip if you're if you're in a place where you're feeling static and you want to change or you want to evolve your work or you feel like your work is isn't evolving at the speed that you would want do a bunch of small experiments uh, try things that you haven't seen before try things that you have seen before but maybe with a slightly different technique or a different version and then when you find a little a little grip a little toehold of like a new idea then go all in and try to do something big and over the top with it
2: I like that. That was, that was going to... Never mind. Yeah, I like that. That was going to be my topic suggestion for next week because I did yeah. something this week that was exactly that. But I'm not going to go no. into it. We'll talk, save, it, it. we'll talk about it next week. Save it. We'll talk about it next week. Save it. Save week. it. Save it. <laughs> now people
0: have a reason to tune in. Yeah, exactly. Leave them on a cliffhanger. There you go. Should we awesome. uh, Any, move uh, into what we're obsessed with then? Or? Yeah, Any let's do Hypothetical? You know, we haven't done a hypothetical in a minute. How about this? If you had to work a normal nine-to-five job, so let's say you had to be employed by somebody else, what would your dream job be in that scenario? Mm. Or would you even have one? Uh,
2: You know, I always wanted to be a veterinarian when I was a child. That would still be cool. Um, So yeah, maybe that. I'm not smart enough, though. Bust out the miter saw on a dog? There's no way I would have made it through college for veterinary school. <laughs> so I don't know
0: what. <laughs> What about you, Chris? Well, I, I want to hear Ben. Or Ben, do you have to think about it?
1: Um, I would say you know, there's a, there's a lot of sort of cool ones that seem like that, but I, I want to do a more accessible one. Um, so I think Uber driver would be uh, an excellent sort of nine to five job. Like if if everything you know went to went to hell and uh, I needed a way to to make ends meet, I would be an Uber driver. Like I think I would enjoy that. I think I would. Uh, It's like I said before, if you can pay your bills and learn something, um, then I think uh, uh, it's an excellent lifestyle. And I think you could do that with Uber. I think you'd make enough money. And I think you could also choose where you want to work, right? So let's say I wanted to learn more about uh, art history. I might sort of do all my routes around the Fine Arts Museum in Boston or like one of the different uh, academic campuses. So that'd be likely to pick up people with that expertise. So, I would say Uber driver, when I, in my downtime, I'd listen to audiobooks. And I would also say that you'd have the opportunity to conduct sort of research and studies uh, with people where you, if you had like a question of like uh, that, you have a steady supply of people from different walks of life that you could uh, use to get a critical mass of like their thoughts on a certain thing. As long as you did it in like a, you know, uh, I think it'd be great if you're a stand-up comedian. You could like test out material, right, and like Oof. develop something.
0: That's a rough place so, to test out material for. A I know, captive but audience. That, that would be
1: all, all the more reason, right? <laughs> rough for the audience.
0: You could really uh, a man could really binge some uh, Modern Maker podcast while he's Ubering, right? Yeah, I, guess.
1: I would say with any with any you know with any nine to five. There's a lot of really ones that seem really cool, but everything becomes normalized. But what doesn't become normalized is self-improvement. So I would look for the ones like that, that were peaceful, that wouldn't be stressful, that you could slowly, uh, uh, if you can't get better at the job and there isn't a lot of upward mobility within the job itself, at least you could become a really well-rounded person in other aspects. I think being a bartender would be a lot of fun at at, at sort of a more sort of like loungy kind of place. Um, I think there's a lot of jobs that... If you had the right attitude and you saw what the advantage was, uh, that could be a lot of fun. I think being a teacher would, would be interesting. The most realistic one for me to, to go back would be going back into academia and becoming a college uh, professor or lecturer again. I could definitely see myself at some point uh, teaching arch- architecture again, either full-time or part-time.
0: Nice. For me, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but uh, I'd want to do creative in advertising. Like, I, I think that would be a really fun job. I think it would cater to my skill set. So, anybody out there who owns an advertising firm and wants to take me on, you got the tag me
1: You got puns ready.
0: Go. I'll come up with some puns for you.
1: Well, speak, speaking of Modern Maker podcast After Hours, I learned something new this week that I thought was very brilliant. Um, I learned it in Australia. They call toilet paper shit tickets.
0: Ooh. Really? Wow. And when I
1: think about it, that kind of makes a lot of sense.
0: <laughs> makes sense. You can also edit that out. No, it's okay. I'm done editing. I'm done
2: editing. I'm leaving that.
1: <laughs> All right. What are you guys currently like, watching? Like, that's what it's sold as about? in
0: the store, even? Just joking. No, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> what are we obsessed right. with? Yeah.
2: I started watching Mad
0: Men. Whoa. Speaking of advertising,
2: I wouldn't say I'm obsessed with it, but it's, it's a good show. I'm going to build his couch. It's going to be a spin-off of his couch from like season two, I think. Um, Nice. So that'll come soon. It's going to have leather cushions, and it's going to be made out of plywood with visible plies, but same kind of silhouette. Um, But I would say I'm going to do my shout-out. Not really an obsession. I guess it's an obsession. But the Oak Chair by the Minimalist Maker. Wow, I stumbled Mm -hmm. on that. Oak Chair by the Minimalist Maker. Came out Very really good. great. It's built all out of just one by fours, I believe. Everything just like Home Depot mm-hmm. types uh, oak. And uh, it came out really, really great. It's a really cool design, really elegant. So go check that out. Minimalist Maker.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll actually echo that for a second just to say people should go check that out. It's funny. I was actually talking to her earlier today um, telling her, you know, I thought it was a really cool chair. And she was saying that it hasn't been performing as well as she would have thought that it would. So definitely go give it a bump to get it the the watches or the views that it deserves. And it's funny. We were talking and I was saying, you know, I would think that actually chairs are probably something that in terms of how hard they are, probably do get relatively low views because they're hard about as un as you can get
2: or at least intimidating. They're about as intimidating as like a single project gets, I think
0: they are and you and if you just think about like the utility compared to how hard it is that you get out of that versus like a media console or something like that so you know they're kind of on a bad side of of that so it's funny because I I do want to make some chairs for sure and that's one thing that I always have in the back of my head is they're probably not going to perform that well but I don't care I want to do them so At the end of the day, you got to build things that you're excited and passionate about building. So I'm going to do it. Do it. Uh, The other thing that I will, that I've become obsessed with lately is actually organizing. So that's something that I'm a fairly organized person in life generally, but I think I've been a little less organized with the, mostly the business side of things for the YouTube channel and like keeping track of what projects I want to do. So I spent some time today. Just making a Google Drive document that's got like every project that I'm just even even moderately thinking about on the horizon. Um, You know, what things I owe different people, basically just kind of building a calendar for myself of when I have to do things and what things are kind of like have been on my back burner so that every time that that comes up, I don't have to sit there and think about it. I can just kind of be like, oh, here are the things that's smart.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, for me, mine is going to be a, uh, someone I collaborate with quite often, uh, Weiwei, and I'm going to refer everyone to her Instagram, which is WXTWO, so it's like W times two, uh, so WXTWO on Instagram, and uh, I've been working collaborating with her on a lot of projects, and uh, she's doing a lot of work in laser-cut leather, small CNC jewelry projects, and she doesn't have a background in, in making. Her background's in sort of graphic design and, like, fashion and apparel design, but she's bringing, like, her sort of, like, ninja expert-level uh, Adobe Illustrator skills to sort of entry-level digital fabrication. And what's interesting is that n- the stuff she makes is is not the most complicated from fabrication, um, but it's sort of really standing out and people are really digging her, her jewelry and her sort of like bags and stuff. And again, it's, I think it's such a great example of why you should cross fertilize. Um, if you, if you, take like a core competency, uh, core competency in one arena and then dabble in a little bit of something else that's not normally mixed with, it tends to result in things that can stand out, but that still are very achievable and not that hard to, uh, uh, to implement. So check her out on Instagram, WXTWO. Uh, she's just producing a ton of really interesting stuff that just looks different from the other things I see.
2: That's cool. I want to plug one more thing. Plug it. Dwell on Pinterest. I know like we're doing the whole thing with Dwell and everything. So yeah, that's cool. Go follow us on Instagram. It's called Dwell Made, at Dwell Made, But that's not why I did this. Dwell's Pinterest feed is freaking amazing. Most of it is not really like, you know, individual furniture pieces or anything like that. It's more just kind of like rooms Interiors. and homes and yeah. just kind of like, but it's curated so well. Um, if, you, if you're wanting to like have a good Pinterest feed, follow Dwell and then you're going to start getting a lot of other really good suggested pins as well. And then that'll slowly get you a good Pinterest built up. Um, yes. So yeah. Oh, and follow me on Such Pinterest it. too if you want. Why the heck not? Just search me. I don't know.
1: How how, how many pins have you put up, Mike? Uh,
2: very few. Okay, here is the thing. Uh, actually, I really haven't posted anything to Pinterest, so I will though. The modular shelf unit, I think, is something that will do quite well on Pinterest. So, if you want, go find me on Pinterest. I think it's just if you search modern builds, you will find me probably, and uh, and repin my modular shelf if you don't mind, people listening, <laughs> even you and even you, Chris and Ben. Um, Why the heck pin not. that I'm to your favorite that. furniture board that the most people will see, and uh, let's make it go viral. So, Mike, you got to do a little
1: more work on Pinterest. So you've only pinned 795 <laughs> images. I know, right? but
2: I but I haven't been doing it very long. I'm working at it.
1: <laughs> right. So, if you want to see a wealth of information, go to my Pinterest. <laughs> no, 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 no,
2: no, 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 <laughs> no. You need to evaluate. go to Modern Builds Pinterest. <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Because I've done the work. I got 21,000 pins.
2: Okay, but, you yeah. know, I'm really? I'm one 121th as good on Pinterest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to see how to absolutely not do it, go watch Four Eyes Furniture on Pinterest, who probably has maybe seven pins. Quality over quantity.
2: That's all I got to say. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah, but they're knockout pins, though.
1: Pinterest is such an underutilized resource. Yeah. Um, and it's basically you can, it's not, you know, you can follow a whole bunch of people and if they post a lot, it's great. If they don't post often, it's great too, because it just means that your, your, your feeds just not going to be as cluttered. So, um, but it's it's such a useful visual resource for seeing tons of interesting images, mm-hmm. and their algorithm for showing like if you like this, here's some other ideas. Yes, is brilliant.
2: It does it does have a great job of just like figuring out what you like and suggesting good things. Um, but on yeah. it, on my page or on my Pinterest, follow my mid century slash slash modern board. It's good. Just Double follow. Slash. Just it's follow all, you,
1: and you'll follow all the boards.
2: I know, but especially go check that one out. I'm proud of it. I've been working on it. It's all mid-century things or things that look mid-century inspired, but are more leaning towards contemporary. So go check
0: that out. Nice. Boom. You have your marching orders, right? (laughs) Plugs. I got plugs on deck here. All right. Let's wrap it up. What do you say? Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you guys for
2: listening. If you haven't already, please give us a review. It lets iTunes know we're a good podcast and that, that other people should listen to it. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it is at Benjamin Ueda, at Four Eyes Furniture, and at Modern Builds. If you want to follow us on Pinterest, we just talked about that. Please do it. (laughs) If you have any show topic ideas, any things you just want generally discussed on the show, you can always hit us up on Instagram at Modern Maker Podcast with a DM. Or you can always send us an email. That's ModernMakerPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And until next time, this has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye.